Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, I'm so always glad to feel honored to fill in for our pastor. And so tonight, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1, for the text tonight. Acts chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with, uh, with verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And he was taken up. You know, there are four great events in Christ's redemptive work for us. There's his atoning death. There's his resurrection. There's his ascension. And there's his second coming. These four events, these four events in Christ's redemptive work for us. Now, of the four, there's been a great deal of emphasis, and I've preached a lot on the death of Christ. And I don't know that we can make too much of that. The atoning death. It's through his death that we have forgiveness of sins. And then there's his glorious resurrection. Oh, my, how important the resurrection is. And once a year, of course, the whole world is... Uh, notified that Jesus was raised from the dead, and how many sermons have I preached on the resurrection of Christ, and how many sermons have I heard on the resurrection of Christ. And then there is the glorious return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and that's a favorite theme of mine, and I've preached much on the second coming of Christ. But when it comes to this matter of the ascension of Christ, it seems that that is ignored. It has been ignored by me, and, and I don't know whether you've ever heard a sermon on the ascension of Christ or not. But it's very important as far as the events of Christ's redemptive work for us. And here in Acts chapter 1, we have the account of the ascension of Christ. He ascended to heaven. And so I want to speak to you a moment about the, the ascension of Christ. Now, the first thing I would want to say about it is the historical event itself. The historical event of the ascension. We have the record of it here in the, the book of Acts. And uh, let me just call attention to some particulars that. Now, I'm not going to reach down and pick up, pick up that, uh, uh, that sheet. I don't want to risk hurting my back doing that. So y'all... Y'all's attention don't be directed toward what fell from this pulpit, all right? The historical event of Christ's ascension. First of all, look, note the manner of his ascension. It was bodily. He ascended to heaven in the same manner in which he was raised from the dead, the same body that he was given at his birth. Jesus ascended to heaven bodily. The same Jesus 
which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you seen him go. It was Jesus of Nazareth who was ascended to heaven. And if you'll note the terminology that's used to describe it, there are three, ter three terms in particular that I call attention to, and these three terms indicate the uh, participation of all members of the Godhead in the ascension of Christ. He was taken up. That is passive. Someone took him up to heaven, and I believe that to be the Spirit of God. He went up, the text says. Jesus ascended in his own power, and then he was received up, and I think that was the Father waiting for the Son to return to heaven after he had finished his redemptive work. And when I look at this fact that all members of the Godhead were involved in the ascension of Christ, it just reminds me that all members of the Godhead were involved in the redemptive work of Christ. For example, all members of the Godhead were involved in the death of Christ. Christ's death was, uh, was uh, as, you, as you see the scriptures, he was given by the Father. The Father gave his only begotten Son. And, uh, it, uh, and we find in the scriptures that he was offered by the eternal Spirit. In the book of Hebrews, we have that statement. And then Jesus himself gave himself all members of the one Godhead were involved in the death of Christ. And then all members of the Godhead were involved in the resurrection of Christ. Christ was raised from the dead. Passive voice. Something, someone raised him from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the Father raised him from the dead. But the Holy Spirit also was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. He was quickened. As, as Peter says, he was quickened by the Holy Spirit, all members of the Godhead. And then, and then Jesus himself had the power to raise himself. All members of the Godhead were involved in the redemptive work of Christ. That's a mystery. The Trinity, I don't know of anybody that can explain it adequately for our understanding. It just doesn't make really logic. One plus one plus one don't equal one, uh, uh, it means uh, equals three, but nevertheless, the Bible indicates that God, the eternal God, has three persons of the Godhead, and what one does, the all, the all of them do. Jesus was raised from the dead, but he just got up on his own. And so when we read this account of the ascension of Christ, he went up, he was taken up, and he was received up. All members of the Godhead were involved in the ascension of Christ. And then the time of it. The time of the ascension is uh, given to us in the book of Acts. After his resurrection, he spent 40 days and nights on the earth in what we call the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. And he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. Now Jesus had taught the disciples about the kingdom of God on a number of occasions, and you read about it in the Gospels, but I think they learned more in this 40-day period after Jesus was raised from the dead than they had in all the three and a half years that they walked 
with him and heard him teach the time of it, 40 days after his death. And then the place, the place of his ascension. It was Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet. Oh, what a wonderful place. Jesus ascended from Mount Olivet. Did you know when Jesus returns, he's going to return to Mount Olivet, a very prominent place in the life of our Lord. And then the last act of our Lord before his ascension. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, which gives us the account of it, Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, Jesus often did that. He often blessed people in his earthly ministry. He blessed the little children, and he blessed his disciples, and he gave a blessing at the establishment of the Lord's Supper. But this meant a whole lot more. I think when our Lord lifted up his hands, it must have been like this, and blessed them. It showed the nail prints in his hands, and it showed the basis of all of the blessings of our God upon us. It's through the redemptive work of Jesus, through his dying for our sins on that cross. The last act of our Lord before his ascension was that he blessed his disciples. And so that's something of the historical event of the ascension of our Lord. Now let's look at the meaning or the uh, are the significance of this event in the redemptive work of Christ. He ascended to heaven. What does it mean? Well, it means that his earthly ministry has concluded. Jesus had a work to do. In fact, he made the statement to his own disciples, we must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. And Jesus often made reference to the fact that he had a mission. He had a work. And now his work is finished. What was that work? That finished work was his redemption for our sins, his death for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 11 and 12, we have these words from Scripture. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice. Without, with, which could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down and on the right hand of God. His work, his redemptive work was finished. And his ascension indicates that this earthly work of his has concluded. But the ascension of Christ means that his heavenly work has begun. Jesus hasn't quit working for us. And what is Jesus doing for us now after his ascension? Well, when you read the scriptures, there are three positions of our Lord in his heavenly work. And I think it gives us some indication as to what he's doing for us now. He is seated. You find this a statement I've already read from the book of Hebrews. He, he offered, after he offered himself as a sacrifice one time, doesn't have to repeat it, he sat down on the right hand of God. His priestly work is now in effect. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, 
For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's seated. Now this position of being seated at the right hand of God indicates two functions of the ascended Christ. It, is, it indicates his priestly work for us. As I've already read from the book of Hebrews, he's interceding for us. And that has a great deal of significance for us today. The fact that Jesus is executing his priestly work for us indicates that we have the assurance of the forgiveness of sin. He's our advocate in heaven. He is our defender in heaven. You have this statement in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. John says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. Now that's made in the statement that uh, in, in chapter 1, uh, he made the statement that, that, that if anyone says he hasn't sinned, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And then he says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, one might use that as an excuse for sinning. And so John wants to correct that. He says, now, nah, I'm not writing this in order to encourage you to sin. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our high priest, that priestly work of Jesus that is now for us in heaven by the ascended Christ assures us that we, have <clears throat> that we can have forgiveness of sin. It's through the intercessory work of Jesus. We have someone interceding for us on our behalf. He's our advocate with the Father. And so the fact that Jesus is seated indicates his priestly work and that priestly work of Jesus assures us of the forgiveness of sin. What happens when you as one who has been forgiven the penalty of sin, what happens when you sin? You confess it and because you have a high priest in heaven you can be forgiven of those sins. But the but the High priestly work of Jesus in his ascension not only assures us of the forgiveness of sin, it gives us confidence in prayer. You pray, did you know that you have one who is also interceding for you? Seeing then, listen to the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in the book of Hebrews Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now here is the, here's the encouragement that we have. Because we have this high priest... Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace 
in, to help in time of need. Jesus, there interceding for us as our great high priest, and because we have this high priest, we can be sure that we can pray and be heard of the Father in our prayers. We can have confidence in our prayer. Oh, I'm so glad that God's throne is a throne of grace, and we can come and find help in our time of need, and we can speak our minds boldly before the throne of grace without any fear of being chided or rebuked because we have this high priestly work of Jesus going on for us now through his ascension. But the fact that he is seated not only indicates his priestly work, but also indicates his kingly work for us. One who's seated upon a throne. The th and I try, to, I try my, to remind myself when I pray and come before God that it's the throne of grace. I also want to remember that it's the throne. We come to a throne room and we appear before a king. Now the fact that Jesus is king and he's reigning now, oh, I do believe that Jesus will reign personally upon this earth one of these days, but I want to remind all of us, dear friends, that the scepter is already in his hand and he rules and he reigns. And don't ever forget that you serve a king even though he is our high priest. So he's seated. That's the first position. And the most frequently mentioned position of our Lord in his heavenly work after his ascension. But there's another position I find Jesus in in the scriptures. Not only is he seated at the right hand of the Father, he's also standing. Do you recall an incident in the life of Stephen, the first Christian martyr uh, recorded in the Bible. Stephen, as, been, as he was stoned, he had this last vision of our Lord, and he said, I see Jesus standing, standing. Now, what, is, what truth can we get from the fact that Jesus not only is seated in his heavenly work, but he's standing also? Well, when Stephen was, was stoned, suffering greatly for the cause of Christ, there Jesus, looking over the portals of heaven, and noticed what was going on in the life of his servant, Stephen. And because of his suffering for him, he stood. He stood as Stephen was stoned and suffering for his cause. And that tells me, my friends, that in the heavenly work of Jesus... He knows what's going on in your life. He's standing in your behalf, watching, knowing, observing. you suffering some cause for him, particularly for him. Just remember, Jesus knows about it. And he's standing, watching, and observing what's going on in your life. And then I find another position that our Lord is in. And his heavenly work. He's not only seated, and not only is he standing, 
but we find in the, in the word of God that Jesus is walking. In the book of Revelation, Jesus wrote letters to seven churches. And these churches are called candlesticks. And that's what every church ought to be, a light to this darkened world, a candlestick. But in the vision that John saw of Jesus, he saw him walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Jesus walking. Now what does that tell us about the work of the, the heavenly work of the ascended Lord? That tells me that while his body is in heaven, he's with us, walking amongst us. It's a blessed truth that I hope we'd never forget, particularly walking in the midst of his churches. Now I know that the blessed truth of the presence of the Lord with you individually, but uh, I like to remind us that when we meet together, when we assemble together, there is a special sense of Jesus' presence when God's people meet together, Jesus walking in our midst. Don't ever forget that when we meet together in this assembly here this evening. Jesus is here walking in our midst. When we meet on the Lord's day and gather together in assembly, there's Jesus' presence with us, walking amongst us in our midst. And uh, one of my favorite emphasis to the churches is the presence of the living Lord where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Jesus lives in us individually and personally, but there's a special promise of the presence of Jesus when God's people meet together. And this, this is one of the activities of the ascendant Lord walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. And so the ascension of Christ simply means that his earthly work has finished. No more dying for our sins. Only one time, the one death of Jesus is sufficient to save however many people will come and trust him. Only one death. Jesus doesn't have to die however many people, however many times people are gathered in this assembly. Only one time, one death. His earthly work is finished. But his heavenly work continues even today. He's seated, standing, and walking. Aren't you glad of that? All right, that's the study for the on ascension of Christ. And so you can tell folks that you heard at least one sermon on the ascension of Christ. I know you can remember sermons about the death of Christ. You certainly can remember sermons about the resurrection of Christ and certainly about the second coming of Christ. I know you've heard about all of those because I've preached on all of those topics. 
all the years I've been a member of this church. But I don't remember preaching about the ascension of Christ until tonight. So now, you've heard a sermon on all four of the great activities of our Lord in his work of redemption for us. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.